0: So we are in Job 41. We've been um, going through the, um, the evidences here of, uh, of, of who God is. God is asking Job all these questions. Um, so we talked about uh, that he, he went through. Yes, uh, we're going to be reading all, all the, from uh, both, both chapters, 41 and 42. So we'll be starting in verse one here in a second. So he's gone through the animal kingdom. He's, he's, we talked about behemoth. Uh, we're going to uh, do a larger section talking about a single animal. So we start in uh, verse 1 of chapter 41. He says, can you pull in the Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down his tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he beg you for mercy? Will he speak to you with gentle words? Will he make an agreement with you? Uh, For you, uh, will you take him as your slave uh, for life? Can you make a pet of him like a bird or put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders uh, uh, barter for him and divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his hide with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? And I want to stop right there. We're going to kind of go through these as we do in sections. And I want to talk about the nature of this animal. All right? What what do you get? The first idea uh, that you get with with this animal. Okay, there's something. <laughs> this is not your ordinary animal. What about his What about his nature? What's that? Okay, it was definitely going to be aquatic, and we're going to see that even more so. Everything seems to be talking about fishing and hooks and things like that. So where we saw a land animal, the last one. He's kind of referencing a, a, a water dweller. Um, what about him without reference to, to the surroundings or whatever? What, what kind of character does he have? This animal. And remember, he, God is using these kind of as illustrations of himself, which is kind of interesting. Interesting. What, what does he appeal to, this, this animal here? These references, he says, will you, uh, will you put him on a pretty leash for your daughter? Our daughter volunteers at Haas, right? And so uh, every Saturday she goes and she's a, a cat petter, which is like, what, what in the world? That's like I, the ideal job for, but uh, they have rescue animals and so they need to kind of get them used to human contact. Um, and so it's actually, if you're trying to rehabilitate animals, that's something that's significant to do. You know, it's kind of funny that you can have a job petting cats, right? But, uh, like you don't put this one on a leash and let your daughter pet this animal, right? This is a completely undomesticatable animal. Um, so, uh, I want to look at what he signifies. Verse 8. Continue on. He says, if you lay your hand on him, you will remember this struggle. You will never do this again. Uh, <clears throat> Any hope of subduing him is false. The mere sight of him is overpowering. No one is fierce enough to rouse him. Who then is able to stand against me? Right. So this is where God is making the connection. Who can strip off his outer coat? Who would approach him with a bridle? So I wanna talk about this animal. And then again, there's, there's two, there's two uh, different views of this, much like with Behemoth. There's the idea that this is a very large, some kind of dinosaur, or there's the ancient view, much like, much like with the, the hippopotamus, the Jews believed that this was a reference to uh, a crocodile, okay? So we'll we're gonna look at this like like we did with Behemoth. We're gonna kind of hold off some of the verses that seem like really a crocodile, and uh, and um, and and we'll come back to those. Looking at it, if it could be, look at the verses as it, it could be that, and then we'll see if the verses that don't look like that could be that if they have an explanation or do they not have an explanation? Um, and and really. As as, Ray, as you pointed out, it doesn't really make a difference at the end of it. The point here, and we want to keep this in mind, the point here is uh, God is using whatever this wild thing is to be an example of who he is. I know we we, we like the cuddly God, right? We like cuddly Jesus. But Jesus says, "Uh, I'm not so cuddly. You don't put me on a leash and parade me around. Mm-hmm. You, if you bite me or try, I'm good, I bite back. Right. You will not do that again. Right. You will remember that battle. So uh, these, this is an illustration. However, at the same time, uh, I think it is good for us. Um, the value in trying to figure out what this is, uh, if we can, uh, is in being credible, to people as we're talking um, about things. There are people that, that run to Job and try to prove things that they cannot necessarily prove. We've looked at some of the scientific things that, that really people are stretching when they, when they get into Job. So it is, I think there's a value here in trying to understand, that. and, and I think Cam, you pointed this out last week, that, that these are things, God is talking to Job and using something that Job understands, right? Um, if it's not there for Job to be talking, uh, to understand the reference, it, it's, it's lost on Job. Um, so um, it is, uh, so we start in verse, um, well, let, let's, let's stay right here in, the, in verse 8 through 11. And uh, there's, there's a, a point here. Um, what else is this comparison? What is, what is, what is, um, or, or maybe to say it a different way, what is he appealing to in terms of how you approach an animal like this? How do people approach an animal like this? Okay. We, the, the, one of the things that is funny is, is uh, people, is it, wait a minute, here's all these verses about how you wouldn't do this. We have a guy now, or used to have a guy by the name of the crocodile hunter, right? Uh, you ever watch the crocodile hunter? How did he approach him? Uh, he was he pretty scared actually. If you go back and and he set nets. He didn't he didn't he didn't approach him and like you know like like if you watch uh, there's there's people that will do alligator wrestling. You know, they wrestle a little one. <laughs> they pick out like an adolescent ad- alligator. Uh but, but crocodiles in Africa or Australia or something, you don't you don't play around, right? Uh and, and you watch you watch him. Like he's got a guy, he's got one in the net and he still jumps when, when it moves. Like it, it it they're pretty impressive, right? Um but but this is the, the attitude that he says. Um you don't uh, you approach people approach God sometimes with less respect than than they approach wild animals, right? And we just you know, they just say things about God or, or be disrespectful like they want. And it, you have respect that you, you wouldn't approach a crocodile, you know, because when, if you if, if this is a crocodile, when you approach them, they open their mouth. Boom. That's the first thing they do and start hissing. <laughs> it's pretty freaky. Right, that's their attack position. You put your hand in there, you're not getting it back. <laughs> and uh, it's like, OK, you go put up, go, go put a muzzle on that thing. Try that. See how that works for you. It, but people will approach God and just say, oh, man, of think, oh, God doesn't exist, or God is this, God is that. Have some respect, because there's a God that made that thing. Um, so verse 12 through 17 is a little bit of a longer section here. He says, I will not fail to speak of his limbs, his strength and of of his graceful form. Who can strip off his outer coat? Who would approach him with a bridle? Who dares to open the doors of his mouth, ringed about with his fearsome teeth? His back has rows of shields uh, tightly sealed together, each so close to the next that air can't pass between. They are joined fast to one another. They They cling together and it cannot be parted. His snorting throws out flashes of light, and his eyes are like the rays of dawn. Um, fire steams from his mouth, and sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke pours out, we'll keep on continuing here, from his nostrils as from a boiling pot uh, or a fire of reeds. His breath sets coals on fire, and flames dart from his mouth. So, uh, just to, to kind of we're going to hold off some of those verses till the end here and kind of look back. But what kind of aquatic animal are we looking at now? Clearly, one way or the other. What is being described here? That, that scales. Yeah. And, and, and not fish scales, right? These are impenetrable uh, fish scales. Uh, this, so we're talking something reptilian, right? So either really big or moderate, whatever that is, we're definitely talking about, we're, we're in the right category, at least. We're, whatever you think, uh, eventually um, we're in the right category. Um, so uh, puff the magic dragon, I don't think is being described here, right? We'll come back to what this might or might not mean. Um, but he talks about the eyelids of the dawn. Right? You know what the Egyptian symbol for morning is? Does anybody know what that is? The hieroglyph? It's a crocodile eye. Yeah. You ever see a crocodile come up? How do they come up? Eyeball first. You ever watch them? It's it's freaky to watch on a, on a YouTube video. They just kind of oh, up and they look. I'm looking at the shore, and uh, and no big yellow eyes. It, it is they're they're freaky. Um. And uh, so he says their eyes are the eyelids of dawn. Uh, he is if we. If we look at and um, talk about his his formidable snout, basically, and these 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 rows of teeth, uh, this is a vicious animal. Whatever it is, it is vicious. Um, it's untamed, and and we see kind of re- repeated and repeated. Uh, God is. He, Whenever God makes something, he, he puts all of a character into that thing. When, when God makes something beautiful, it, it, is, it surpasses beauty, right? When, when God makes something graceful, it, it, it surpasses anything that man can make. And when God makes something fearful, he makes it terrify you. And, and, and through all the creation, God shows himself Um, and and I want to look at that as we we look through the next section of verses. So I want to kind of skip over the the fire breathing stuff and we will come back to that. But um, uh, he says, beginning in verse 22, he says, strength resides in his neck. Dismay goes before him. The folds of his flesh are tightly jointed. They are firm and immovable. His chest is like a rock uh, as hard as a lower millstone. When he rises up his, Uh, The mighty are terrified. They retreat before his thrashing. The sword that reaches him has no effect, nor does the spear or the dart or the javelin. He treats iron like straw and bronze like rotten wood. Arrows do not make him run away. Uh, Sling stones are like chap to him. A club seems to him but a piece of straw. He laughs at the rattling of the lance. Uh, His undersides are like jagged potsherds, leaving a trail in the mud like a threshing sledge. Um, and, and these are really a, a lot of repetition, perhaps, of, of some of the things that we've seen. This is that's the way poetry works? It kind of repeats some of these pictures, All right? Um, in verse 24, his chest is as hard as rock. Some say his heart. His, you know, his, his heart is like a lower millstone, as heart is on it. No one was doing animal, uh, animal uh, anatomy <laughs> on any of these creatures, no matter what they were, certainly on a dinosaur, uh, if, if they were around. Uh, you don't, you don't, you don't uh, like, oh, okay, let's uh, get the scalpel out and see what this heart is. We're going to be looking at the character of a thing, aren't we? His heart is hard as a stone. Uh, we've talked about the untamableness. He's not cute and cuddly. He is cruel and vicious. How do we describe a cruel person? What, what are some of the metaphors that we use for a cruel person? Hard-hearted? Okay. No conscious? There's another one that we use that is very similar to this reference. Is a metaphor. You ever heard of some cold-blooded? Isn't that interesting? Like, like we use a similar thing even in our modern language. To to the way that they would refer to like, like as hard as a stone, like cold-blooded. For some reason, we refer to reptiles as as this. Brutal, cruel, unfeeling character. They're, they, they're not cute. They're, there's nothing cute about them. God can be like that. I, I know that sounds like cold-blooded. God can, when God has something he has to do, he can do it in a way that might look cold-blooded to us. This is why people ask, well, how can God, how can, how can there be a God? Right? That, that's one of the questions. How can bad things happen to good people? Or all, the, you know, all these questions come up and people have a problem with God. And this is one of those things that, that, that's really the hardest question to ask. When God has something he needs to accomplish, it can look to us like he's cold-blooded. No, he's not. Just like a, a, a dinosaur, alligator, they're just... Creatures of nature. They're just doing what they're made to they're not, do. They're not, you know, malicious. This is just the way they're made. Um, and in creation, we talked about how God, like, puts his character into things. You can tell a lot of the character of the creator by what he makes. Can't you? You ever see the weapons of Nazi Germany? They look evil. They just look evil. Like, how can you take a gun and make it look evil? Well, they did. You look at a, a Ruger. They, they, they just look more evil than any other gun I've ever seen. Right? You, you, their tanks look awful. Like, they, they, there's nothing graceful. There's, not, there's no art. There's no anything. no anything other than pure evil in anything they ever designed. You can see the Character. Look at a, a look at a, a a Van Gogh painting or something. You, you see craziness because the man's crazy. It, I I don't mean to be rude, but he was mentally disturbed, and you can tell that there's something not right there. Anything that that comes from a particular characteristic, you can tell that. The character that it comes from, but when God, and so it's kind of interesting that God makes all of these things very diverse. He, he's beauty, but he's raw power, and this is what he's trying to communicate to Job. I'm a lot of things. There's a cuddly side to God. There's a nice, nurturing side to God. But if you're on the wrong side, Job, if you talk to me the way you've been talking to me. Or about me. You're going to get a side of me that you don't want to grab a hold of. You've got a tornado. He's <laughs> raw power. So as we look at all of these things, he talks about the, the, um, the, the he, he's not an animal of prey. right? You, you get the idea in here. Nothing preys on this thing. Um, and, and so there's, there's some similar pictures, as we said. Um, it was, I, I read a old, very old, it's like from the 1800s, somebody talking about crocodiles. And said so they had musket balls that, I mean, obviously their rifle's not so powerful as ours today. They, they couldn't shoot crocodiles with musket balls. Think about that. Even now, I, I, even, now even with uh, like high-powered rifles, there's two spots where you can kill one. Now, you can pierce it, but you either hit it here or here if you want to kill one. It, it, it's just an incredible, incredible creature. Um, he talks about the deep boils of the water. Anybody seen a crocodile? How do they kill something? Yeah. Called a, a death roll. They grab it and they just start spinning until it's drowned. And it is, it looks like the water's boiling. That's exactly what it looks like. If you described it, this is what it looks like. Um so so I want to look at some of the passages that that do seem difficult. We're not going to necessarily go in order here. Uh, verse 34. Actually, let's let's uh, finish reading uh, the, the the chapter. Then we'll kind of go back through. He says he makes his depths churn like a boiling cauldron. Verse thirty-one, he stirs up the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him he leaves a glistening wake. One would think that the deep had white hair. Nothing is uh, equal on on earth is is equal. A creature without fear. He looks down on, on all who are haughty. He is king over all that are proud. So there's just kind of one more thing that, that is in here. You see a a, a, a wake. Right, so we see a surface swimmer. We don't see something underneath. We see something swimming, leaving a wake. Um, so let's look at some of the difficult portions here. Verse, uh, verse 34, does that describe, it might look like we're talking about a tall animal. Um, he looks down on all that are, on all that are proud. All right, he's king over all of them. Does he technically look down? Well We again, can't understand this as literal because there's no water dweller that could look down on all creatures. But uh, he's not afraid of anyone of them. He despises them. He con- in other words, he condescends to any other right? uh, you, you watch them attack the shoreline. They don't care what animal. <laughs> they'll pull a lion in. They'll pull any other prey, any other ant. They don't care. They're not afraid of anything. And, you know, this goes to their cold-blooded nature, I guess, I, that we talk about. They, their viciousness. They just God made an animal that's just not afraid of anything. So it's not... Um, we do see that he's not, he, he lies on the shore, right? He li- And there are numerous descriptions throughout here that talk about him lying, but that's not his main habitat. He lies, uh, and he, it, it talks about like pot shards, his underbelly, um, uh, and, and, and various things like that. So we're going to see him uh, in verse 30. We we'll look at that right there, actually. Uh, his undersides are like jagged pot shards, which doesn't make us think of an alligator, right? That's like one smooth part. Um, but, uh, the description here, uh, there's a, it's a part of a larger description. And he talks about like all of these things laying around, like, like the, the spears and and the various things like that. Like he kind of is like, like an anvil, right. As it describes him, you attack this thing with whatever you attack it with. It's not going to be effective. And and so he just kind of scours. I was watching, I was watching a crocodile hunter just to do some research. I'm looking at this thing. And, and he scours, it, it, there is an abrasive nature to the underside that uh, he's judging the size. He'll look at a, at a, a place where you just, the alligator will, or a croc will scour the ground. And he can tell the size based on all of these things, that, that this trail that this leaves. Oh, that's a 14-foot uh, male, or this is a 12-foot female, or whatever. And he just, it, it just scours the ground. Uh, is, is a, abrasive. So, uh, it says the sharp stones are under him, quite literally. So, um, so, not exactly sure what that means, because it has a lot of different um, things that that could mean. Is that referring to him, or is that referring to the fact that they can lay on something that's rough or without feeling it? I don't know. uh this is, will, in verse 6, back up to verse 6, this seems uh, maybe a little bit out of place for what we're talking about. Will traders barter for him? Will they divide his garments among the merchants? Yes, there's a such thing as uh, alligator skin, boots, and there's uh, crocodile wallets and all this other stuff, right? So, yes, they can. Um, but I think he was talking about, um, uh, there, there's an idea that this is talking about, you know, you divide him up, you, you a merchant sold meat, right? And I've had, I went to Louisiana. They said nothing like crocodile tail or alligator tail, right? Good, good eating. It's like steak. Okay. Take your word for it. But, uh, but it's not regularly done to, to divide him up for, for banquets, for meals, right? That's not a thing that you're going to go commonly see, I think is the idea here. Uh, and, and we're in a second going to see why that would be less likely then than now. Uh, and that gets into verse 10. No one is fierce enough to rouse him. Who then is able to stand against me? All right. And so this is, again, that comparison of, of him to me. What? Who, who's going to get this guy up? All right. And it's like. You know, as, as he stands up, he's, he's impressive. And who, who thinks an, a, a crocodile is not known for long legs or anything like that? It doesn't seem to fit. Anybody see that video of the, the one in Florida? Yeah. Yeah. She, I don't accept this. <laughs> did, you, did you see that video? there's a crocodile. is it huge. It was just abnormally large. And she's, she's yelling, it's a dinosaur. Because she's never seen an alligator this big and it just it got up on its legs and it's walking across you think of it like doing that it got up and started walking it's walking across you know this she's like i do not accept this (laughs) it's just it's just she's like filming it It's, it's funny Yeah. And, uh, I um, I've never seen them uh, at night, but apparently I, I don't know about crocodiles, but I, uh, alligators uh, their eyes are red but it's like, a light, you know, at night. Okay. That's how you can tell the difference between frogs and alligators. If you see the, the red eyes, those are an alligator. Huh. Right. So the, light, the way the light reflects on sure. fire. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I suppose that's a, that's possibly true. Yeah. I mean, I, there, there are a lot of different, and there's different things, different animals. Nocturnal animals, a lot of times, have have that, uh, where they they're they're reflective. Uh, so that is interesting. Um, so this is something that um, I, I I came across. Um, I'm, I'm not a whateverologist, <laughs> so uh, so you try to do as much research as you can. Uh, but reptiles do not stop growing. No reptile stops growing. Do you know that? They constantly grow until they die. They just shed a skin. Crocs shed skin just like, just like snakes. Right? And they don't stop growing. How long does Job live? Huh? 140 years after What if this is mimicked in the animal kingdom? Can you imagine what a crocodile might look like after 300 years? You know, there's skulls uh, of crocodiles that are five feet long. Can you imagine if we walked outside and saw a 35-foot crock? <laughs> we're not talking about anything that anybody's going to mess with. And, and just reading, reading material that's not Christian at all, they're like, this was top predator. Land or sea. Sharks, nothing. Those were snacks. This is a, essentially, it's a dinosaur. It is a dinosaur. Yes. Did dinosaurs live? Yes. <laughs> imagine if, really, someone, someone said, you know, people talk about, oh, the dinosaurs went extinct. No, they just got small. Uh, imagine if a gila monster lived three times as long or four times as long. Imagine if all of these reptiles lived three times as long or four times as long, how big they would be, how scared we would be of them, Right? a lot of them might look like pictures of dinosaurs that we have. They're just smaller. Imagine if snakes, <laughs> I can't imagine what a snake would look like. I mean, I, I, I can imagine what it would look like. I, I can't imagine looking at it. Like just the, the awesomeness of, of, of this aspect of God's creation. And of course, we get to uh, the fire, the breathe fire. No, not literally, obviously. I don't even think dinosaurs had that capability. No one's ever suggested that capability. Uh, but um, the what is the reference to? They don't they're not fish, so they have to hold their breath underwater and they stay under there for a very long time, relatively. So when they come up, they exhale. I can tell you that's a big nose to exhale out of, right? And when they do, it's, it's violent. It, it, it sends spray, right? Uh, and, and it could look to an observer using poetic language like this. There's, there's nothing, in other words, there's nothing in here that, that would say that it couldn't be this animal. There's some things that are like, okay, that's maybe a little difficult. Um, but when we get to the end of it, really... This animal or that animal, God says, it is of evidence of my raw power. Right? And that's what we want to be left with. Uh, as we finish up here, I want to get into 42. 42 has a little bit less of application, uh, but there are some very important things uh, for us to look as, as God has concluded his speech. God's given all of his evidence that... Uh, that Job thought he wanted. And now God says, okay, now what do you think? So Job replies to the Lord, verse, uh, chapter 42, verse 1, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures or darkens counsel without uh, knowledge? Surely I spoke of things that I don't understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen, uh, uh, prepare yourself and I will speak. Uh, I will question you and you will answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. So therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I want to stop there for just a moment and, and look at a couple of things. What does Job acknowledge? He acknowledges a couple of things in this passage that are important for us. Okay, he recognizes God um, so that's the first thing. What else does he recognize? What is he recognize in himself? yeah, he recognizes his ignorance'm I'm, I'm, I'm pretty ignorant now that that you mention it <laughs> god <laughs> I've, I've spoken of things that I really don't know about it, it's amazing how you know as how how confident people talk about things that in 10 years science goes no not really and um but we're at the time we're so confident of it um The <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You said, "Listen, and I will speak. I will question and you. will Answer me." Yeah. Um, and, and so, so he's a little bit more timid than he than he started out. He, he's kind of come back to reality. Um, I remember, you know, talking about uh, this confidence to to talk about things that we don't understand about, uh, I remember a youth group lesson that we did, um, my senior year. And, uh, so we got together for youth group and we, we watched a survival video and this guy and, and the, the point of it was we were going to get together in groups, you know, so we divided it up into three or four groups. We watched this, uh, survival video. And so it goes through like a, like a 10 minute segment. And, and, uh, this guy is, you're in the woods and, and this and that, and the other, and, and, uh, and you're separated. And he's like, uh, you have, you know, so much room to carry, and, and he goes through all of these things that you have. Which things should you take? Right. And so the point was for us to get together, and we had to figure out, you know, how, how, which ones were we had to kind of, you know, so there's a group of three and a group of three, and we're, and we're trying to figure out which ones was. And, and, and we had no idea what the lesson was about. So we come together, and of course, then we watch it, and we're all horribly wrong, you know. And the guy's were like, no, this is completely useless or whatever, <laughs> you know, and, like, and oh, you need, you really needed this, and, you know, some of it you get, like, that's pretty obvious. Um, but the point of the youth group lesson was here we were trying to convince each other and no one in the youth group knew anything about what we were talking about. But we were so adamant that you needed this item or you needed that item. And none of us knew anything about survival. We're just a bunch of high school kids. And, and we're sitting there like, no, this is the right thing. And that was the whole lesson. Right? We had, had no idea. We didn't see it coming. And, and this is the same way with, with Job. He's, he's spoken. And the friends have spoken. Remember, the friends have listened to the speech, too. And he's going to address them in just a second. They've all watched this. They've, they all have the ability to reflect on all the things they've said. And they've all been pretty ignorant in retrospect. Oh, they thought they were so right at the time. God says, no, you had no idea what you're talking about. All right. And Job admits it uh, to his credit. So what are the two convincing factors of Job? Job recognizes two things that, that really impacted him. Verse 5 and 6, or verse 4, excuse me, verse 4 and 5. Okay, his eyes and ears, stuff he's heard and stuff he's seen. How has he seen God? And this is interesting. How has he seen God? Okay. The first thing I think of is, here's God in a tornado. That's pretty impressive. That might set me back a little bit and go, okay. But I think, I think you're on the right. I, I think you're really seeing the real thing that influenced it, is that Job has never looked at the animal world in the things he sees every day. He's never seen God in it. In, in all of his piousness, and I mean that in a good way, in all of his righteousness that he's lived up to this point, which God said, there's nobody like Job on this earth. The one thing that Job never did was to look at what God made and see the attributes of God in it, right? And that's what Romans chapter 1 is about. Romans chapter 1 is, you can see me in my creation, Right? For, for in the creation, God's attributes, invisible attributes, are clearly seen through what He's made. That's a piece that Job has missed, and it's like the light. This is his light bulb moment. Wow! I never thought to look at something scary and go, "There's God in that," because we want to see God in the frilly stuff or pretty stuff, and and. Really, God shows all of Himself to us. I, I think God tries to. I think sometimes we miss it, like Job, like like Job. Sure, you get. Right, we get busy in our day, and we we don't look at we don't look at those things. They're just they're just a part of nature Na- nature is what we accept as as being common and we don't we don't i mean there, there's moments in nature where we something really impresses us right yeah. a tornado that impresses you now maybe you mm-hmm. connect that to god or maybe you don't but it impresses you there are, there are moments that impress but there are so many moments throughout your day that you don't really take the time to re- maybe a, a beautiful sunset or or, or something like that kind of captures you and, and you go wow this is amazing. Um, yes. Right. We take it for granted. We, uh, we acknowledge it in some degree, but, but, but to be deliberate and say, here is an attribute of God. Here's, here's God connecting to me in, in, in a way that he can. Because he can't describe himself really to me for me to understand him. So he, he does the best that it's not because of his inability, but because of my inability Language can't describe God. Even creation really can't show all of his beauty or all of his awesomeness. But this is the best way that, you know, this is is Google Translate for us. You know, That that creation is that representation, as good as we can, to see God. So he restores the men in verse 7 and 8. He says, the Lord had said these things to Job, then he said to Eliphaz, I'm angry with you and your two friends. So Eliphaz looks like he's the older, and and he's kind of, you're going to speak on behalf of these younger idiots. You're an older idiot, so I'm holding you accountable. Uh, He says, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you've not spoken to me what's right, like Job has. So now you'll take seven bulls, seven rams, go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourself. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. And we've talked about this in the past, this dichotomy between the way they've been wrong and the way Job has been wrong. And they've been more wrong factually, right? Which really upsets God. Job has been wrong. His assumptions have been wrong too. When we talked about how, how the way he was wrong was really showed a worse spirit towards God than they did. They were at least trying to speak on behalf of God, but they were making worse doctrinal statements about God than Job was. And so they both have to be corrected. And God says, the way you're wrong, I'm not even going to let you sacrifice for yourself. <laughs> That's how wrong you are about me. <laughs> Job's got to do it. And, um, Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if maybe he always had been. You know, I know he sacrificed on behalf of his own family, but but you're right. It's almost like he's he's at least whether temporarily or permanently. I don't know. There's this element in there, sure, uh, of almost being like a priest. Um, So we, we do get the idea. Doctrine is important to God. Just being kind or just this or just that. God takes doctrine seriously. And I want you to notice that they complied. They're restored. God did not give them up. As far as they were, God did not give them up. So the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. I think that's important. Uh, and um, I want to get then to the restoration of Job. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before, and all his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with them in his house. They comforted him and consoled him over all the troubles that the Lord had brought upon him. And each one gave him a piece of silver, a gold ring, something to get back on your feet, right? He doesn't have any wealth. So, you know, um, I I suppose it's part of that. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 donkeys. And if we look at this, these are twice the amount that he had had to begin with. Um, he had seven uh, sons, three daughters. Uh, it names them uh, Jemima, Kaziah, and Karen Hapuk. Nowhere in all the land were they found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance among, uh, among their brothers, which is interesting. He treated them as differently than, than people treated women back then. Women didn't get an inheritance. They got a dowry. And he gives them an inheritance. That's, I think that's interesting. Uh, just aside, uh, it's not really where we want to end. But after this, Job lives 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. So he died old and full of years. Uh, and I, I want to talk about the restoration of Job. When does Job's restoration happen? In relationship to what? No. He's repented earlier in the chapter. When does he get his restoration? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Like, here's a little test. you wonder if he had said, no, I cannot do it, God. I cannot forgive my friends. I can't do it. If he would have lived that life and died like that. Um, I don't know. But I just think that's interesting, the order of which God does things here. got like an important part of restoration spiritually is forgiveness. And it, 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 it's not just everybody else coming and saying they're sorry. We, we, we never find out about Job's wife. There's the irony of all the, the family members who now come and, oh, yes, now we'll, we'll, we'll show compassion now. And God doesn't even spend really any time talking about that. We never learn about Job's wife. There's no sacrifice that Job's wife has to make. or, or we, don't, we don't read that, that Job had to sacrifice on behalf of his wife. She's left out of this picture entirely. But Job has to deal with forgiveness. He's been seriously wrong, and he has to be the one to see to it that his friends are right with God. I think that's, that's deep. Any thoughts as we close the book? Okay, dismissed.